In much of the United States, it's assumed that water will be available and safe to drink. But events that culminated in a state of emergency for Jackson, Mississippi's water system in 2022 highlight the ongoing burden created by poor water infrastructure in many historically racialized communities. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Richard Mizell, an Associate Professor of History at the University of Houston. Dr. Mizell has written a perspective article about the Jackson water crisis and the health effects of racism. Dr. Mizell, what immediately precipitated the declaration of a state of emergency in Mississippi last year, and what did that determination mean for Jackson residents? Well, a number of events culminated in the declaration of emergency from President Joe Biden um, in August of 2022. There were a number of boiled water notices issued to residents of Jackson, Mississippi. There were conversations and accusations of lead and lead poisoning within the water system. And residents of Jackson were living under a system of water insecurity in which they were constantly fearful of E. coli within the water system, of low water pressure, and also the suspension of access to water in their homes. And so this immediately precipitated this declaration of disaster in August of 2022. But it's also important to understand that this is not a vacuum, that the Jackson water crisis was in many ways a long multi-generational disaster that really just reared its ugly head in the summer of 2022, and in many ways is continuing to rear its ugly head into the current moment and the future. What are the biggest problems with Jackson's water infrastructure, and how have residents been affected by lack of reliable access to safe drinking water? Well, one thing that's important to understand is that, again, and I'll go back a moment to think about this because it's very, very important. The Jackson water system has been an issue for many decades, really going back to the 1940s and 1950s. It was at that moment in which people started to sound the alarm about you know, negligence of the water system, the need to repair parts of the water system. And it was at this time in the 1940s and 1950s that many of the local experts, per se, the people with the technical knowledge, were displaced and dismissed from working in Jackson's water system. And so this led to a system that was neglected for the next 40, 50 years that was susceptible to corrosion, susceptible to leakage of lead poisoning within the system, but also a moment in which water pressure was not adequately maintained within the water system and susceptible to shutoffs. And so lead, lead poisoning, sort of various issues with contamination, these are the issues that many Jackson residents are dealing with at this current moment. You say in your article that the Jackson crisis is part of a story of racial capitalism and the shifting financial burden for water infrastructure. So why are historically racialized communities in the United States especially likely to have unreliable water infrastructure? Well, again, it's also important to think about the history of this as well. By the 1970s, 1980s, Jackson was becoming a majority Black city. In fact, of the roughly 150,000 residents of Jackson, Mississippi today, roughly 80% of those are Black. But for most of the 20th century, Jackson was overwhelmingly a white city. So it's a story that's not uncommon within certain cities and suburbs within the United States, which is sort of a later migration in which Black people began moving into predominantly white spaces in the 1970s and 1980s, as opposed to the 1930s and 1940s, which was traditionally what we described as the Great Migration. 
But as residents in Mississippi and other parts of the South began moving into Jackson in the 1970s and 1980s, this precipitated a white flight out of the city of Jackson, and not far, but to the outer edges of Jackson, to neighboring counties and cities, and to other parts of Mississippi. And so this resulted, as it would in you know various parts of Maryland, Prince George's County, in various parts of Chicago and other cities, this led to infrastructural neglect lack of access to financial capital, but also degraded landscapes and environmental infrastructure and spaces within that city as well. And so as a result, as many scholars have defined and talked about, cities like Detroit, like Flint, Michigan, like Jackson, then have a higher interest rate or a more difficult time accessing the credit necessary to take care of their own water infrastructure. And so, you know, at first glance, you would ask, what does Wall Street have to do with the Jackson water crisis? Well, as it turns out, quite a bit. Over the course of the last 20, 30 years, much of the burden of water management has shifted to local communities to deal with their own water infrastructure. And in a place like Jackson, Mississippi, who are unable to raise taxes for their own water management system based on legislation within the state of Mississippi, and they have to go through a conservative state government to raise taxes to deal with their own water infrastructure. They are very much dependent on federal government resources, which are also then funneled through state governments. And they are, as a result, required to repay these loans to deal with their own water infrastructure. But this then is where these broader questions of credit and credit ratings rear their ugly head. And Black cities, Black communities have a lower credit rating to be able to deal with their water management issues. And then how does poor water infrastructure affect health disparities among people in low-income and majority Black communities in Jackson and beyond? So there are a number of issues that are important in answering that question. Number one is the question of stress. Living in a world that's governed by the lack of usable water is an incredible psychological stressor for many people. Many people in Jackson, Flint, Detroit, and other cities who do not have access to water from their pipes must go to water depot centers and systems to receive water. So this means managing their lives around water depots. Many people have to get up and go to these water centers at 4 a.m. before work during work, sometimes after work, with no guarantee that water will be available. So if we just think about that for a moment, what that means to have to do that every week, sometimes every day. Many people have to worry about the water coming out of their taps, even when the boil water notices have been lifted. So they have to pay attention not to uh, open their mouths, for example, when they're brushing their teeth, or not drink the water mistakenly. When they're taking their medication, they must always have bottled water on hand. How difficult is it to cook with just bottled water, to be able to manage how much water it will take to cook a certain meal? All of these things are very, very stressful. And if you're elderly, if you're infirm, if you're suffering from a disability, then you are unable sometimes to access this water in the same way, to go to these depot centers. And so you're dependent on other people to bring water to you. And so this is all very stressful. I mean, places like Flint, I mean, places like Jackson, water bills are high. So you're actually paying for water that you're not receiving. And that is a stressor. And you're worried about water being disconnected. So, you know, there's some research that shows that the fear of water being discontinued is even as much of a stressor, if not more, than the water actually being discontinued. So all of these things are stressors. 
And within the state of Mississippi, water infrastructure is just one example of the larger infrastructural issues of chronic disease, health disparities, and racism within the city, but also within the state. Mississippi has high rates of just about every chronic disease that you can imagine. Cancer, diabetes, asthma, chronic kidney disease. And the lack of water infrastructure impacts all of these chronic and acute diseases in significant ways. Cancer treatment, people who do not have access to clean water are susceptible to bacteria and infections when they're undergoing cancer treatments. People who are suffering from diabetes, much the same thing, but also need clean water to be able to cook the vegetables and fruits that help to sustain their healthy lifestyle. People who are undergoing asthma treatment need clean water for humidifiers, but also people who are undergoing dialysis need clean water for their treatments three times per week. So these conversations are not often made evident within local and national conversations, but they are very, very important to this broader conversation of health neglect, infrastructure, and racism in Mississippi. Finally, moving forward, what kinds of policies are needed to help modernize water infrastructure in the United States, especially in areas where structural racism has contributed to the disinvestment that you're talking about? Well, I think there needs to be cross-jurisdictional policies in which various city-state partnerships work to protect the water infrastructure. Throughout the country, poor communities, racialized communities, non-white communities are the most vulnerable when it comes to poor water management. And so there needs to be a more sustained commitment by Congress and the federal government to protect water infrastructure, to really take it out of the hands of local and state governments, and to make sure that everyone has access to fresh, clean water. And so by doing this, by you know, pushing resources into state governments, but also making these funds readily accessible to local jurisdictions, to local cities and states, and, and ensuring that these water infrastructures are protected from lead, are protected from bacteria, and that there are people working in these particular systems, water management systems, who have the knowledge and know-how to protect those systems. And this is, again, mandated by federal law. I think this will go a long way in helping to protect the rights of all citizens to a healthy water supply. Thank you, Dr. Mizell.